There is a debate going on among pastors in the Christian world that you are probably unaware of, and that is okay. And the question is this in the debate. How do you define success in ministry? How do you define success in ministry? There's one segment of the church that says that you can know you're doing it right if you are flourishing. People are coming to Christ. Your church is growing. Giving and participation are going up. And they'll say something like this. All healthy things grow. But then there is uh, another pushback to that, a challenge to that mindset that says, well, there are some parts of the world and America where people are not coming to Christ in vast numbers. The church is not growing, and in fact, it's declining. These people would argue that what is needed is faithfulness. You divine success by faithfulness. Just keep praying, just keep evangelizing, keep preaching and loving, and people will see that you love them and that is success in God's eyes. But then a third group will come along and say, well, hey, a more biblical metaphor rather than flourishing or faithfulness is the idea of fruitfulness. You need to look at your ministry for fruitfulness in the spiritual transformation of the people you lead, those you evangelize, and the fruit in different aspects of the ministry. And it's a balanced approach that continues to press on in faithfulness, but also ask, is there something that you could be doing different that may be more fruitful and lead to flourishing? From time to time, I think it's important for us to stop as a church and examine ourselves. Examine ourselves in the category of flourishing and, of course, the category of faithfulness, but I think fruitfulness is also helpful. Because sometimes we need to stop and say, are we doing those things that are the most beneficial that contribute to flourishing? And we need to examine ourselves corporately and say, where do we need to change to be more fruitful and faithful leading to flourishing? But I think the same thing can happen to us as individuals. As you examine your own life, as many of you have your own particular ministry, Or maybe your ministry is not so formal. Maybe it is just praying and ministering for the salvation and discipleship of your grandkids. Sometimes you need to examine your life and say, okay, are you being faithful to your calling in your ministry? Are you being fruitful? And maybe, just maybe, you need to switch some things up. Switch some things up in your formal ministry and switch some things up in your informal ministry so that you will see more flourishing through your faithfulness because you've decided that you are going to alter some things to be more fruitful. And that's what's going on here as we look at the book of Galatians. We are going to see flourishing. We're going to see faithfulness and fruitfulness. But get this. There is a fear that it will all be cut off. Paul is afraid that the fruit that he has seen among the Galatians would be hindered by the false teachers. 
You see, Paul preached the gospel of grace alone through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. We've been saying it each week. He preached Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yet the false teachers wanted to put the Galatians back in bondage by saying that in order to be saved, they must believe in Christ and become a Jew in observing the law concerning circumcision, dietary laws, and observance of certain days. But get this. Christianity is not a Jewish Reformed movement where Christians become Jewish. Because remember, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Now, as Paul sees what is happening in Galatians, he reflects back on another instance of the same thing threatening to hinder his ministry many years ago and how it was dealt with years ago so that he can move on to flourishing faithfulness and fruitfulness. He tells a story of what happened in the past so that for the Galatians, they can turn from this heresy and continue on in flourishing faithfulness and fruitfulness. Let's start out chapter 2, verse 1. Look at the text. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. Keep in mind, this is really hard to follow, but we are in the midst of Paul's story in order to establish the authority of the gospel. And last week we saw his story in the before, how, now format. And I told you I would be like a teacher checking your homework and asking you, did you share your story this week? with those in the church someone in some context you shared your story of before Christ how you came to Christ and and now that you're walking with Christ if you didn't I will give you an extension <laughs> and if you did tell your story to someone in the church I want to push you along even further and say now tell it to someone who doesn't know Christ so Paul is in the midst of his before, how, now story. He's in the now part. You see, before he was persecuting Christians, then Jesus intervened in his life on the road to Damascus and saved him, and now he is preaching the gospel that he once tried to squash. And we left off with him last week going to Jerusalem a few years after his conversion to meet with Peter and James who affirmed the gospel. After that meeting, it was a brief meeting, he went back to preach the good news to the Gentiles about salvation by grace alone and Christ alone. Now, he is talking about when he went back to Jerusalem 14 years later. And this time around, he has a couple of his ministry partners with him, Barnabas and Titus. And the question is, why did he go back to Jerusalem again? Verse 2. It was because of a revelation that I went up and submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. He says that Paul went back because of a revelation from God because this meeting with the Jerusalem leaders was crucial to the flourishing of the church. And Paul says he's at a point right now that he might be running or had run in vain. 
He's not doubting the gospel of grace. But if the leadership and the apostles in Jerusalem are requiring converts to adhere to Jewish norms, then salvation could cause this church split where you have the gospel of Paul, grace alone through faith alone, the Gentile gospel, and then you could have this Jewish gospel that it's Jesus plus all these Jewish laws. And so Paul is fearing that a church split could be happening. And this threat is a very serious one. It threatened Paul's fruitfulness in preaching the gospel. Sometimes your fruitfulness in ministering to others can be threatened and it has nothing to do with you. When I was in Chicago, I would go and do evangelism on the streets with my friend Jeremiah. And many years later, Jeremiah decided to start a church. We started it with him there in the Rogers Park area of Chicago. Now his church was made up of an interesting group of people as a good portion of them were homeless people. And depending upon the drama in their life at the time, it would determine whether they would be a part of the church, show up, or just disappear. At other times, there were other threats that came against this church because they had to rent their facility from the city, and sometimes the city would just, at a moment's notice, kick them out of their facility. In fact, one summer, they just met in a park all summer. But then they started getting some momentum. People were serving. People were plugging in. But I, I heard just this last week that many people have bailed. They found more comfortable churches, <laughs> or they moved away. And a lot of those things are out of Jeremiah's control. But there are some things that are in his control. There are some things that he can do that can contribute to fruitfulness and flourishing. And so he decided, he said, hey, if you're a leader here in this church, you have to live in the neighborhood. He also said, if you are going to be a member here at this church, there are expectations in your attendance and giving. You see, there's a lot of things out of his control, but there's some things where he could say, I'm going to confront these head on. And I think about you. Things that are out of your control require faithfulness. But some things you can tackle head on for the sake of fruitfulness. I'm going to say it again. Things that are out of your control require faithfulness, but some things you can tackle head on for the sake of fruitfulness. What are some of those things? Well, watch what Paul does. (laughs) Paul realizes there's a lot out of his control, but he confronts what he can for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of fruitfulness. He continues in verse 3. Look what he says. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Paul's starting a little aside or or parenthetical comment that is going to last through verse 5. For starters, he says, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Titus was a Greek, and he wasn't going to buy into the lie that you need to be circumcised, you write with God. Paul and Titus won't let these false teachers steal their freedom. Paul continues, verse 4. 
But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, and in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Paul stood firm against these false teachers who tried to steal their liberty and bring them back into bondage. And Paul did it for the gospel. And it says, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. That means that Paul could preach the true gospel among the Gentiles without them becoming Jews to be saved. If he would have compromised, then there'd be no gospel for the Jews or the Gentiles. Sometimes, in order to be faithful, and sometimes in order to be fruitful, you have to go against the tide pushing you to compromise. I spoke to someone last week, and she told me that her church is in the process of leaving the denomination because the denomination has compromised. And some of you may have come from churches where you had to leave your denomination because the denomination compromised the gospel and the word of God. Some of you have been in churches that dropped the authority of the Bible. Then they dropped the divinity of Jesus. Then they dropped the resurrection of Jesus. Then they dropped the necessity of Christ alone for salvation, which also leads to dropping leadership standards, dropping sexual standards, and a variety of standards. And sometimes, sometimes, in order to be fruitful, and sometimes, in order to be faithful, you have to stand firm and say, no, I will not compromise. I'm not going to go along with that. You will not produce fruit. We will not be faithful. We will not flourish. We will not compromise. But sometimes you even need to do that with yourself. Sometimes we can see the external threats and we will not compromise, but sometimes it's hard to see what's going on internally. Because all of us, we want power to do the Lord's work, to be fruitful, faithful. We want to flourish. We want his power. But a lot of times, we do not want his oversight. So we have this self-rule. And we want to call the shots and we want to say how things are going to go. Now, God, please give us the power. So just as externally we do not want to compromise, so internally we want to find ourselves bowing to the Lordship of Jesus and let him determine how we will flourish and be faithful and fruitful. Well, Paul picks up his original argument again, fearing that his fruitfulness would be hindered and the church would be fractured if the Jerusalem apostles compromise. Will the Jerusalem apostles compromise? Verse six. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Now, this hits our ears negatively, but Paul does not intend it to be so. He simply means that the apostles added nothing to his gospel. 
He received it from Jesus and not the apostles. It was from God and not yet, not man. Yet here's the good news. The Jerusalem apostles, when Paul went there, affirmed his gospel of grace. They affirmed his preaching of the gospel of grace alone, Christ alone. They affirmed his gospel. The church was not going to be split. And the gospel of grace that they were preaching to the Jews is the gospel of grace that also would go to the Gentiles. This is good news. He continues, verse 7. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that it was given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul's distinct call was to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised, that would be the Gentiles, and Peter to the circumcised, the Jews. Same gospel, different callings. And God gave fruit to Peter in his ministry to the Jews and Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles. And they offered Paul the right hand of fellowship and sent them off to the Gentiles while the apostolic pillars continued to the Jews. Same gospel, same power, different callings. I want to make sure you get this. Same gospel, same power, different callings. If we want to be a flourishing church, a fruitful church, a faithful church, we have to realize that God has distinctly gifted you with a different calling and yet enabled you with the same power. You know what this means? This means that we don't have to compete against one another. You don't have to fight for airtime. You don't have to fight to get play. You don't have to say, pastor, 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 get behind this. This is the only thing going on in town. <laughs> you don't have to do that. We're not here to compete. So you know what we need to do? When we're trying to, we feel kind of antsy, kind of insecure. We've got to fight for airtime. You know what we need to do? We say, give each other the right hand of fellowship. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Go do it. You're authorized by the power of the Holy Spirit. We got your back. Right hand of fellowship. Same gospel. Same power. Different callings. And we get that, we're going to be a church that flourishes. Not a church that competes. But there's a caveat. There's one caveat they give to the Apostle Paul. It's in verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. <laughs> you see, the Gentile church was wealthier than the Jewish church, and that's just the one in Jerusalem. And the apostles wanted to make sure that Paul would keep remembering the poor, and Paul indicates that he was eager to do it. And I just think about all the ministries that we're doing. I was just, just thinking about our brother up here sharing with you a jail ministry. We, through all the ministries we do, we want to lean in the direction of the poor and the vulnerable. And it's a common theme in the Bible, and it should be common in our lives as well. 
this is the good news here. This is good. Ultimately, Paul wants the church to flourish and remain faithful to the gospel bearing fruit. And he's basically saying, Galatians, you would be foolish to abandon this gospel of grace alone through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. It's the gospel that Paul received from Jesus. It's the same gospel preached by the apostles, yet they had different emphasis. Same gospel, same power, different callings. Now this is where you might want to get out your pen for your word from the Lord. <laughs> uh, I'm going to close by talking about flourishing faithfulness and fruitfulness with this context here. And I want to start about talking about success, okay? So let's start with flourishing. We all want to have success in ministry within our church, our own particular ministries. But get this. The results and the outcomes are derived from God. And the same God who powerfully worked through Peter powerfully worked through Paul. And Paul had a similar emphasis in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I planted Paulus water, but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. It seems to me that flourishing ultimately depends on the Lord. It's not about our strategy sessions. It's not about our techniques. It's not about tips and tricks. But it's about the work of the Lord. And if you view your ministry as a simple plug and play, or if you build it, they will come, then you're just depending upon yourself. If you're saying it's about the technique, where's the Lord? Right now, I have two of my kids in college, and I praise God. They are both sold out for Jesus, following Christ, no messing around. And when I see them firm in Christ, I think to myself, okay, Jason, just do the exact same thing with the other five. <laughs> but that makes it about me, makes it about my techniques, makes it about my tips, assuming that no one is different, that other kids are just the same. But I gotta understand, the Lord is working in the older two's life because I was crying out, my wife was crying out, God, save them. You do the work, all you, God. And as I move on to the other five, I gotta think the same thing. But at the same time, the Lord brings flourishing through the faithfulness of his people. Faithfulness. The Apostle Paul and even those who went to the Jews were faithful. They would get persecuted and still keep on preaching the word. Let me tell you about my week. This week, I saw faithfulness in this church. I'm just new. I'm checking things out. Um, I saw faithfulness in Mary Ellen and the team over there at Good Samaritan. Just be faithful, serving. I saw it in a science class, a Bob Warner's class and crew. They had FCA in there this past week. They sent 73 kids to camp. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. I see it in these men serving in men's ministry, calling all of you on the phone. Are you going to the men's retreat? Faithfulness, you better be there. <laughs> and I see it in individuals' lives. I, I went with Deb, who's been carrying her mother for years. 
And she was at Belvedere, and um, I see her faithfully, faithful to her mom, serving her. And I just think about the faithfulness of many of you in here, but let's just be honest. Sometimes in our ministries and serving, we want to quit. We want to quit and give up. I don't know if you've ever been a caregiver to the sick. Sometimes you just want to quit. Maybe you're serving a a rebellious child who is now a self-destructive adult. I don't know if any of your kids are self-destructive adults, but it's almost like you want to check out. You're weary. You've grown tired. And there are times where you don't want to show up and you just want to bail because you're not seeing flourishing. You're not even seeing fruit. But you need to continue in your faithfulness with grit. And the key is to take it one day at a time. I don't know if you've ever said, I cannot do this the rest of my life. I cannot do this the rest of my life. Well, the good news is you don't have to. You just have to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just do today. It reminds me of commuting to work. I've been attempting to commute to work here at VBC. For 10 years, I commuted in Chicago year-round. And I thought I was some kind of strong guy until I got here. Because I want to tell you that hills are harder than biking in ice and snow. I can't commute every day, and it's not the distance. It's the hills. And if you see me walking on the side of the road, do not stop and ask me if I need a ride. Because I'm just walking the hill, all right? Just don't embarrass me, all right? But I have to walk some of the hills. But I want to tell you this, I'm getting better. But it's not because I'm getting stronger. Because see, this is what happened. When I first would see the hills, I would think to myself, keep your head up, eyes on the prize, get up the hill, work as hard as you can, and then I would get discouraged by so little progress. But I have a new technique, and it's this. My head will not be looking at the top of the hill. My head is looking right in front of me. And I'm saying I can't do that hill, but I can bike this next three feet. Head down, three feet. Head down, three more. Three more. And by the time you know it, I'm up the hill. Some of you, you don't need to say, I can't do this the rest of my life. You're looking at the entire hill. Keep your head down. One day at a time. Jesus never said, you know, you need to really worry about tomorrow. He wants you to trust him for today and be faithful today. Just take the little part that you know today. So flourishing, faithfulness. That brings lastly to fruitfulness. You know, Paul would preach the gospel to the Gentiles in a different way than he would preach the gospels to the Jews. 
If you ever studied the book of Acts, I want you to compare Peter's message in Acts 2 primarily to a Jewish audience, to Paul's message in Acts 17, primarily to a Gentile audience. And the context often determine how their apologetic or their presentation or their preaching would determine their preaching of the gospel. Different contexts, but God still worked. And this is where fruitfulness comes in. And too many times you may think, I'm just gonna be faithful. I'm just gonna keep doing the same thing over and over again whether they respond or not. I'm just gonna be faithful. But maybe, just maybe, you need to examine your actions and make some adjustments. I'm gonna gonna present an extreme case to you and I'm assuming that no one in here does this. I'm sorry if you do. Let's say you're praying for your grandkids and you want your grandkids who are in college to be saved. Some of you have grandkids in college. You want them to know Jesus. And so you're praying for them. And what you do is you send them stuff in the mail or you hand them stuff. And you know what you send them? You think the best thing for them is that you send them the left behind books. Oh, they're gonna get saved. I'm gonna send them the left behind books. That's gonna do it. And you send them one after another, after another, after another, and they get these in the mail. And what you don't understand is that generation is in full force mocking mode of the left behind books. And you think, I'm just gonna be faithful. Just do it. And they don't repent, it's on them. Or maybe you need to switch some things up and say, okay, the left behind books may have been great for students in the 90s, but what do students today need to hear without compromising the gospel? And I believe that a lot of times in the ministries that we have, I would encourage you not to be so set on your methods that you dig in when maybe you need to change while holding firm to the gospel. Do not be so set on your methods when maybe you need to change while holding firm to the gospel. And I want to examine my life as you examine your life, as we examine our lives corporately. Because we want to be a people who are dependent on the Lord to flourish his church, our personal ministries, while we remain faithful to the gospel and bear fruit in different contexts, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be used. We want to be used as a church. We want to be used as individuals. We want to see flourishing. We want to see people coming to Jesus. We want to see people discipled. And I pray for my brother and my sister in here who's having a a struggle with just faithfulness. They want to bail. Maybe they've prayed for their unbelieving spouse for so many years. And they just can't taken in their day of praying for them. May you enable them to be faithful today. For those of us praying for unbelieving children and how to minister to them, we don't think we can do it anymore. Help us be faithful today and cry out to you independence today and beg you for fruit. 
And Lord, be with us corporately. Help us to examine our hearts corporately. Where do we need to change without compromising the gospel? Where do we need to make some adjustments without compromising truth? Speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Speak to us corporately. Because, Lord, we want to be a fruitful people who are flourishing as you're using us, as feeble as we are, you're using us to be faithful. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.